0: Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the wines of the world, the different regions, the different grape varieties, and the history and culture of wine. In this episode, we look at Oregon, the fourth largest wine producing state in the US, after California, Washington State, and New York, and Oregon really uh, punches above its weight considering the the amount of wine that is produced, and it's really famous for its Pinot Noir, But it's winemaking history is relatively new. Although vines were planted back in the 19th century, that was very small and not really important at all. Oregon was founded on logging and beaver hunting. And after you've had a day of logging, you're much more likely to drink beer than wine. And beer has always been more central to Oregon's drinking culture than wine. And indeed, Oregon produces some of the best beer in the US right now. Oregon's winemaking really begins in the 1960s. When Richard Sommer planted uh, vines in 1961, uh, just south of where most of the modern winemaking is, but the really important uh, development was in 1965 when Charles Corey planted Pinot Noir, and then a year later David Leck planted Pinot Noir in the Dundee Hills, and this is really where the centre of wine production is now. The Dundee Hills is the most prestigious area of Oregon, and this is in the Willamette Valley, which is 240 kilometres in length from Portland to the city of Eugene. At that time, it was thought to be impossible to grow grapes and make wine in Oregon. Up until that point, it had just been fruit wine. And David Lett was advised by UC Davis and the other small handful of producers planting in Willamette Valley that Oregon is far too cool and wet for grapes to successfully ripen and for wine to be made. And UC Davis's um, history with Oregon is not so uh, beneficial to the university. They thought it was impossible for vinifera grapes to grow. But David Lett really wanted to grow Pinot Noir and other Alsatian grape varieties such as Pinot Gris and Pinot Blanc. He was convinced that Oregon would work and that California was just too hot for those grape varieties to be successful. Oregon just kind of was completely out of people's minds. No one really knew what was going on in Oregon. Until in nineteen seventy nine there was a tasting where David Lett's Pinot Noir, his vineyard is called or his winery is called Irie, and it did really well in a tasting, competing with French Pinot Noir from Burgundy. And at that tasting was Robert Druhan of Joseph Druhan, one of the most famous producers and negociant in Burgundy. And he was so impressed by David Lett's Pinot Noir that he staged a follow-up the following year. In Paris, 1980, where the wine again performed extremely well, and this really brought Oregon to the attention of the world. All of a sudden, this state, where, which no one really knew where it was, let alone that they were making wine, was competing with Burgundy. And Robert Druhan was so impressed that he actually was was persuaded to invest in in Oregon and bought some land and established a winery, which is called Domaine Druhan of. Oregon and that was established in 1987 and his daughter Veronique became the winemaker she had just graduated from the University of Dijon with a degree in enology. and so Oregon is definitely on the international map with a major Burgundy producer investing and making wine in Oregon and Oregon has gone from strength to strength there's over 500 wineries in the Willamette valley now and it's world famous It's not the most beautiful region wine region in the world it's got hills gently sloping from 100 to 330 meters so not that high and um, not that not that spectacular but those slopes just give different expositions uh, to produce different expressions of Pinot Noir in particular the climate is um, slightly maritime you have mild winters and cool wet summers so harvests can be difficult and this is why uc davis thought it was impossible to produce wine and grow vinifera grapes in oregon because of the cool wet summers and vintages really do vary the last few years have seen warmer and drier vintages because of climate change and that has produced a different style of pinot noir in the Willamette valley riper and bigger and also higher yields as well which has been difficult for oregon wineries because they're Reduction isn't geared for higher yields, so they've had to deal with that, and also changes in consumer expectations. If there's higher yields, there's more wine, so it's so consumers expect there to be more wine to be drunk. So it's going to be um, interesting to see how the climate develops in Willamette Valley, whether it goes back to its uh, cooler, wetter norm or whether it continues to be hotter and drier, and that will uh, obviously influence the style of the wine, and also whether vintages will be consistent or inconsistent, and whether consumers will get familiar with a bigger, riper style that we've seen in recent years, or whether it's going to change quite dramatically from year to year. So those inconsistencies, or maybe more consistency, will also be very important in the development of uh, Willamette Valley's wines. So as I mentioned, Willamette Valley is the centre of Oregon production. Uh, a long, narrow valley stretching from Portland to Eugene, and there are two really important soils within the Willamette Valley. There is the the Jory soil, which is uh, really red, ruddy coloured, light clay. find these in the slopes of Dundee Hills especially. And then there's a soil which is unique to Willamette Valley, which is called Willakensie soil, and there's actually a winery named after this soil, which is more sedimentary and marine coming from the ocean, and this will be a lot sandier also found in the foothills of the, uh, the of the valley, particularly in the Ribbon Ridge AVA. So within Willamette Valley, there are a lot of AVA's which can be extremely confusing. And this is one of Oregon's issues. It's kind of almost overemphasized the variety of Willamette Valley rather than promoting it as a whole, which consumers can get used to before delving deep into the differences. And so there are a lot of single vineyard production really concentrated on the difficulty of of Willamette Valley. The main AVAs are Dundee Hills, which is just south of Portland, which is where David Lett first planted Pinot Noir, and this is really the epicentre of high quality peanuts, where Domaine Druhan are located as well. There's also Ribbon Ridge, as I've mentioned. Iola Amity Hills is further south, and this is where it gets a bit more distinctive because it's a little bit separate from a lot of the other AVAs. There's also Chalahan Mountains, McVinville, uh, Yamhill Carton, and more and more AVAs are being created within Willamette Valley, which can be confusing. So, what about the grape varieties planted in Willamette Valley? Well, obviously, Pinot Noir dominates 70% of plantings, and no other wine region in the world, apart from New Zealand with its Sauvignon Blanc, is so dominated by one grape variety. And again, this can be an issue because it means consumers only associate Willamette Valley and the entirety of Oregon with Pinot Noir when it's capable of much more variety than that. And so producers do have to work to get consumers to drink other wines besides Pinot Noir. But the reason it's so strongly associated with Pinot Noir and why Pinot Noir dominates is because the quality is very high and it's very consistent. Perhaps note Perhaps no other Pinot Noir produced in the region in the world is so similar to Burgundy in the style because of the difficult climate. Although with these warmer vintages, the wines are a bit riper and a bit fuller than Burgundy. Perhaps the closest association with Burgundy is Coupe de Nuit, and the wines of Louis Saint-Georges or Gervais are a bit bolder and a bit darker. Also, producers do have a tendency to use a little too much oak with Pinot Noir. The standard seems to be about 40%. And I think the wines could benefit from a little less oak uh, stopping them being too spicy and too toasty especially as the wines get a little bigger and riper with the changing uh, climate so we'll see how Oregon Pinot Noir develops according to consumer taste according to climate change and also according to producers. Other grape varieties planted in Willamette Valley include Pinot Gris and this is kind of Oregon's white alternative to Pinot Noir rather like in New Zealand and it's for the obvious reason that Pinot Gris has the same name as Pinot Noir and is related to it so it's easier for consumers to latch onto it. However the Pinot Gris planted in Willamette Valley isn't that exciting it's quite crisp and dry a little is fruitier than Pinot Grigio uh, but does actually have higher acidity than Alsace so it's a bit of a combination of Pinot Grigio and Alsatian Pinot Gris. Some of it's very good but one made by Irie. Is extremely good. Others are a little a bit more neutral. And um, he also planted, or thought he planted, Pinot Blanc back in the sixties. But again, UC Davis gave him the wrong cuttings, and this is something they did quite a bit in the late sixties, early seventies. They thought the Pinot Blanc that they had in their nursery was Pinot Blanc, but it was in fact Melon de Bourgogne. Uh, so I do actually have a small amount of melon de bourgogne planted, which since David let, de- David Lett's death 10 years ago, his son Jason has made into a wine, and it's absolutely fantastic. And something similar happened in California in the chalon uh, region in Monterey, where the Pinot Blanc is, is in fact melon de bourgogne and can be very good. But that's just a little side story. Perhaps the best white grape variety in Oregon is Chardonnay. And although I don't want to encourage a region to plant yet more Chardonnay, because it dominates so much around the world, the Chardonnay made in Oregon is absolutely superb. But there is a catch to that. David Lecht planted Chardonnay back in the 60s, but he used his own cuttings from a vineyard planted in 1935 that he'd taken himself. And the Chardonnay that Aria makes is really, really good and distinctive. But other producers had to use cuttings or clones taken from UC Davis. And UC Davis gave them a clone completely unsuitable to Oregon's climates, particularly Willamette Valley's cool, wet climate. And this clone was designed for the warmer climate of California to retain its acidity even when it was warm. Well, Oregon doesn't need that. It's cool enough already that the acidity is going to be retained naturally. And so having a clone which had this crazy high acidity produced wines which were completely unbalanced and so producers just gave up and Chardonnay. However, back in the early 90s, some professors came from the University of Dijon, looked at the clone and said, hey, this is completely unsuitable. We have some clones which are much more suitable, and these are called Dijon clones. And anyone who's planted Chardonnay in Willamette Valley has used these Dijon clones, and these produce absolutely fantastic wines. However, a lot of producers are still very wary of planting Chardonnay because of that history in the 70s and 80s, and so not as much Chardonnay is planted as it should be. And considering Willamette Valley produces Pinot Noir most similar in style and quality to Burgundy, it should be quite natural that Chardonnay... Um, performs in a similar way, and it does, but still produces a very wary. So I'd recommend trying Domaine Druhan's Chardonnay or Edelsheim's Chardonnays, as well as Iris Chardonnay for an example of the quality that it can produce. Riesling is also planted and can be a good quality, but it's planted in very small amounts uh, with high acidity and maybe slightly off dry. And there's also some Gamay as well, so we're really talking about that Burgundy Beaujolais climate. In all cases, the style of um, Willamette wine is always geared towards quality, but there's no real inexpensive wine produced in Willamette Valley. This can price consumers out, but it does mean that quality is always high and consistent. But Oregon is not just about Willamette Valley. South of Willamette Valley and south of Eugene is Umpqua Valley. And this is very interesting. Because back in the 1990s, there was a dermatologist from Florida, of all places, who was obsessed with Spanish wine, and he asked why does nowhere in the USA produce high-quality Tempranillo, and it's a very valid question. There are almost no regions in the world which produce Tempranillo as good as Rioja or Ribera del Duero, for instance. And so he spent three years researching the perfect site. A neo in the USA. And he was helped by his son, who's a climatologist and climatologist. And they eventually um, set on Umqua Valley, where the climate is quite different from Willamette Valley. It's warmer and more moderate and drier. And the climate here, they found, is very similar to that of Northern Spain, with some um, influence from the ocean. In the case of Spain, it's the Atlantic. In the case of Oregon, it's Pacific, but also warm, dry summers that don't get too hot. Tempranillo is an early ripening grape, so you don't want it to be too hot, otherwise it ripens too early, so having a nice steady growing season. And his winery is called Abasela, and they produce the only Tempranillo I've ever tried, which is of world-class quality that comes from outside of Spain. It's absolutely superb. So that research into Tempranillo, and the perfect site for it in the USA, was well worth it. And it really confirms that Tempranillo needs the correct site. I think a lot of producers who do work with Temprinio just plant it and think it's going to work really well. That's not the case. You need it to be this warm but gradual growing season. And so there's a handful of wineries around there also producing wines from Mediterranean grape varieties. Going further south as well there's Rogue Valley and Applegate Valley. And these um quite extreme climates. In the winter it snows and you can see beautiful images of the, of the vineyards covered in snow almost like Piemonte and then the summer is quite warm. These are very new regions and, still the, and so there's still a lot of experimentation about which grape varieties work here but the wines I've tried from Merlot, from Syrah, from Viognier and also from Gewurztraminer have been pretty good um, but it's still small obscure regions and so not many people know about these wines but it may be that they get some attention eventually as they should Also, just to conclude with Oregon, Oregon does border Washington State, and a lot of people get confused and think that Oregon and Washington have identical climates and produce identical wines. They certainly do not, as we'll discover in the next episode when we talk about Washington State. But there are some AVA's that do straddle Oregon and Washington State, and these are often considered Washington AVA's, even if they are located in Oregon. So Columbia Gorge is on the border with Oregon and Washington, and it's on both sides of the border, so it's an Oregon and Washington AVA, and this is on the Columbia River, which is a large river, which is the direct border between Oregon and Washington, and this is um, high altitude and quite wet, and produces cool climate wines, which can be of exceptional quality. And then going much further inland, both Oregon and Washington become desert-like and quite warm and arid. In Washington, as we'll discover in the next episode, all-encompassing AVA is Columbia Valley, and this actually stretches into both Oregon and Idaho. So it's one that's geographically focused rather than respecting state borders. And so within Columbia Valley is Walla Walla, and this, again, straddles the border between Washington and Oregon. And within Walla Walla, there's a new AVA called the Rocks District, and this produces absolutely exceptional syrah and this is a new AVA which has been uh, drawn solely around the soil, and this is the rocky soils, almost like the rocks of chateauneuf de Pac Galley. And where the rocks stop, the AVA stops, and as I said, really good syrup, and this is entirely in Oregon, although it's really considered a Washington AVA because it's part of Columbia Valley. It's a little bit confusing, but it shows that Oregon's climate is a lot more varied than simply the, the, the wet, cooler climate of Willamette Valley. So that's Oregon. Very interesting future, very recent past, how the wines develop, how the Pinot Noir changes according to climate change, and also whether people discover the other AVA's of Oregon that aren't just about Pinot Noir. So thank you for listening. This is Matty, and this has been Matty's World of Wine and Drink.